0: Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Glowacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome, welcome. Oh, so today I'm recording on a legit snow day. We got a big snowstorm coming in um, into Rhode Island and uh, combined with a nor'easter, which means high winds. And uh, it's very exciting. Everything was canceled, including like, doctor's appointments and all the schools and the schools actually got like a old school snow day, no virtual work, which I am all about. I feel really bad for the whole virtual thing that started during the pandemic because now kids don't even get a snow day. (laughs) All right, let's jump in. So today I really want to Kind of piggyback off of the last couple episodes. So the last episode I did was about the internal and external locus of control, and how we can cultivate an internal locus of control. Now, one thing that's been happening is I hear this a lot in my work, but in the Crap Cafe, which is our new parenting community on a platform outside of social media, we had a very lively uh, discussion on our our um, our weekly live call. And this was the idea of when your child has mastered a skill and then they they need help. Then all of a sudden they don't do it by themselves or they say they can't do it by themselves. And when is it enabling them? And when is it just providing some help? So we'll dig into that. First, I wanted to give you my little nugget. And I saw this online and I just loved it. The idea of a regulated nervous system does not mean that you are calm all the time. It means that you can flow in and out of sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system states. It means you will get riled up, you will go into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, but can you get yourself back to baseline relatively quickly? And I love that because I feel like all the talk right now, uh, self-regulation, co-regulation, all of this is like such a big concept that we're seeing so much more of all of a sudden. And it's it's wonderful. But then we mash that together with the sort of skewed gentle parenting paradigm, which has kind of gone a little crazy into permissive parenting. And what happens is we get this notion that we should all be very, very calm all the time. And how I see that play out in gentle parenting is a false front, Uh, a higher pitched voice, because look at me, I'm calm. And there's nothing more grating on your nerves than that fake voice. And it will grate on your child's nerves. They know when you're being fake. So I just thought I'd throw that out there as a better goal, because I feel like so many people are trying to get themselves to a consistent, constant state of regulation. And that's not possible. Our kids are going to trigger us. They are going to activate old wounds. They're going to activate our core values. They're going to, it's just the nature of the beast. They're going to rub salt in our wounds. It's That's what their, their job is. They're figuring it all out and they're going to trigger us. So we have to be able to flow in and out. We have to be able to take some breaths. And one of the mamas, In this live call that we had, that I'm going to, you know, go through some layers of this when a kid is capable, but suddenly says they can't. She said she could feel the past injustices of her of her past selves, past versions of herself. And I love that imagery because like, we all have these injustices. We had injustices when we were five, we had injustices when we were 10 and teenagers and 21. And, and she could recall, like, you know, when her kid activates something in her, she, she said, you know, she feels the weight of all these other Other versions of herself. And so I think it's wonderful to stay aware of that and stay aware of when things might be particularly activating. I think one of the intriguing things is when your child hits an age in which you had the same age at which you had some difficulties, or maybe your parents did something particularly egregious, or you were really misunderstood, or you were particularly shamed about something. When your child hits that age, look out, because that shit's going to slap you in the face. It's going to kick you behind the head and you're not even going to see it coming. So I, it's so worth self-reflecting and, and trying to find where you do have those emotional bodies stuck in you, because at least then you're prepared, at least it doesn't kick you from behind the Right? at least you're a little prepared for the toughness. And I really think that's why so many people struggle with teenage, the teenage years is because they were treated poorly or disrespectfully in their teenage years. Um, I know for me, I really buckled in, I buckled in on my personal work as Pascal got into his teens. And I, I really buckled down on my pause and my taking my time to respond or, being able to not suck the oxygen out of the room with my silence and be able to articulate, you know what, I need a second, I'll be right back, or to really be able to modulate that regulation from going from my own dysregulation into some co-regulation and self-regulation. All right, so what do we do? Let's talk about the kid who has mastered skills and suddenly can't do something. So the original question was posed in this parenting community we have of, Uh, A mama was struggling because her four-year-old, I believe it was a four-year-old, you know, has mastered these skills and we're getting dressed. And we'll go through getting dressed because that seems to be one of the hottest spots that I hear about in, you know, emails, DMs, and in my client work, getting dressed in the morning. So your child has mastered that at four years old. And then suddenly they can't, I can't do it. I need your help. And with this particular mama, she... You know, she didn't want to enable the child. So she, you know, put up a stink about the kid doing it herself and then finally gave in and said, you know what, I'll help you. And then realized that the child just needed a day or two of help and then was proudly doing it again on her own. So her question was, was that okay? It's always okay if you find something that works. Yes. So if you help your child and you help them, And then they move on. You know, it was a couple of days where they needed some help. That is awesome. You found something that works. So the child got back on track. The child was doing great and even showed pride in self-mastery. And so in that particular case, I was like, yeah, yeah, you found the solution. Do what you do best. Now there are, there are some other situations, right? Now I always think that it is best to help our children. And in our call, what I was saying was, I really gave this some thought because I was like, okay, let's, I always like to look at it through the kids' point of view because our point of view is so far removed from their point of view. And if we go through your average four year old, that's four years on the planet. That's like, what, 1300, 1400 days, right? And if you think about childhood and if you think about how Much they have learned in these four years. Your kid is never going to learn at the rate they learn from zero to five years old. The brain activity, and I've seen an MRI of of various stages of zero to five, the brain development, like the neural pathways, everything is exploding in growth. And if you think about zero to the first year, right? first, the first like eight months are your kid gaining eyesight. Like they're literally gaining farther eyesight, right? They're learning that their needs are met. They cry and a loving presence comes and helps them. Right. Then you've got like one to two years old. What they're learning. They're learning how to walk, right? They're learning. From 12 months to 24 months, they might take on potty training, eating with utensils, solid foods, right? Like all these things, separation anxiety, other caregivers. And then two to three, they're learning individuation. They're separate from you. They have free will and choice. Now they're learning how to get dressed and put on their shoes and and how to try to keep regulated, how to articulate their emotions. What are these emotions? What the hell is happening in my body? It's so explosive, right? They're learning to manage things three to four, still now they're probably getting into beyond parallel play. They're doing cooperative play. They have to manage other kids, not hitting, sharing. Some kids might be starting to sound out words. Their growth is so intense. And it, 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 it so reminds me of the mental load of moms. Like we get, we're loaded with all kinds of things in our heads, right? Like at all times. And I, and I had said this, like, I know that you load the dishwasher probably better than anybody or fold the towels better than anybody. I know that you know how to do this. And sometimes you might ask for help because you actually need the help, number one, or you might need to be seen and heard. Could somebody do something for me? Could somebody do something and see that something needs to be done in the house, right? And so, you know, we know that's the mental load of moms. But then when we look at the mental load of your average toddler, they got a lot going on. It may not look like it because it's usually not particularly helpful to you, right? But they've got a lot going on. And so if their skills crash and burn, then they may just need help. They may be on overload. Maybe it's all too much, right? And so helping them is never a bad thing. And we'll get to when it turns into enabling in a second. So I always think that in the morning, let's really look at getting dressed in the morning because again, that I see this the most and that and picking up toys and we'll get to that. There also could be asking for connection. A lot of times mornings are too rushed. If your child sleeps late, you know, or you're in a situation where you have to get out of the house very quickly after your child wakes up, that is always a clusterfuck and it's always hard on the child. So I would always look at a routine and say, you know, we really need to be up and get acclimated to to the day, especially if your child is one who needs a longer sort of wake up, get with the world. Some people bound out of bed, right? I'm one of them. Other people need a little time. They need some, you know, maybe not actual coffee, but like that, that imaginary coffee where you're like, give me a second. Don't let me, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. I have learned that I can't bum rush Pascal, but when he gets up, I have already been on fire for several hours and I'll be like, Hey, I have this idea. And he's like, I can see on the look on his face. He's like, Oh my God, stop talking. <laughs> right. Cause he needs a little warm up." Your child could also be asking for connection. And when your child needs help getting dressed, you cannot minimize the amount of time that is spent touching your child. And sometimes we just need that touch, whether it's compressive touch that feels good, like a hug, right? Like when you put on your kid's shirt, you don't just put it on, you put it on, you rub their back, you rub their belly, you rub their arms, you kind of iron it out. There's a lot going in there with touch and our children crave our touch. One of the best things you could do is trip their little face between your hands and, you know, give them hugs. So they crave that. So they could be craving touch. They could be just craving some slow down connection time. Help me. Help, helping your child is so connective, right? So check in on these things and make sure that they're getting those. And if it takes getting dressed, man, you've killed a couple of birds with, with one stone, some compression, some hugs, some, I've, affection, some connection, all these things that your child may be craving. And you may also introduce this to your child and say, hey, do you really need help getting dressed or do you need some love and attention right now? Because it's always really good to name what's going on, right? Like if we sense that our child is needing something emotional, we want to give them the language for that. And we want to model how to ask for that so that as they get older, it's not misdirected, right? I don't get attention from acting out. I get attention because I ask for it and I ask for when I need a hug and some love, right? Now, Let's get to another scenario because another mama brought up a question about what happens when a kid like won't pick up their toys. So this is another area that parents feel unsure about. So what are the options? Well, I can help them, which I feel like is enabling them. I can do it for them or I can, you know, do it for them and like put the toys away. So there's a couple of facets to this. When, particularly if you have the situation where the kid has kind of trashed the room or you have many say baskets with loose pieces and everything's been dumped out, right? That can look very overwhelming. A kid can go through a room like a tornado and then having to pick it up looks very different than how it was messing it up. And we, in our old school parenting mind can be like, well, you certainly didn't have problems making the mess. You shouldn't have any problems cleaning up the mess, right? But it can look very, very overwhelming to a a child who may be done playing. And we can mistake this for disrespect sometimes. So there are a couple of options here. Number one, if your child says they can't do it, and, or they say, or they're being kind of a pill and they say they won't do it, right? Because there are those things. Kids can be jerks, right? And they are going to try on being jerks for size. So maybe they look a little contentious to you and they're like, I'm not picking that up. You pick it up. Okay. In that case, you can say, listen, do you need help? Why don't you pick up the red blocks and I'll pick up the green blocks. How about that? And then once you get them moving, typically they will help. If you can make it into a game, which I'm not a big fan of like juggling plates with kids. I'm not a big fan of making everything into a game, but once they get moving, you can sort of feed that sort of motion, the, the, um, Keep the motion going. I can't think of the right word by, you know, okay, great. Now you get the blue ones and I'll get the yellow ones and you can keep them going, or I bet I can beat you, you know, that kind of thing. So you can offer help. If the child still is being a little persnickety and says, you know, not persnickety, but mm, kind of jerky, <laughs> I'm having a better word for it, no, I'm not picking it up. You can say, okay, I can either help you or if I pick it up, those toys are going away, okay? What would be enabling is your child leaving the room, you picking up the toys, putting them back where they go, and letting your child dump them out the next day. That is enabling them, and that's the thing you don't want to do. If they don't want to help you when you pick up the toys, the toys absolutely go away. They go for a toy respite, and I always recommend having either a cupboard attic, basement, garage, bins, something that the child can't see and go get themselves and toys can go in there. And I'll tell you a story. I was working with a client and she, I've talked about this numerous times. I think one of the worst things we've done to ourselves is give ourselves these really big houses, particularly open floor concepts, because we feel like we need to fill all this space. We end up filling it with a lot of toys so this mom and I were working, and the kids were just—they were just not being cool, like really. And they would tag team her little brother, little sister, and they would feed each other, and they would just kind of be obnoxious about it. So I said, "Okay, well the toys have to go away. They don't get to just throw toys around because they were just literally dumping toys. Like that was it. So the mom would pick stuff up and she said, "Okay, if you're not going to help, it's going to go away." And the kids would sit there with their arms crossed and say, "Go ahead, go ahead. I don't care." And it looked like it looked like they were being little jerks, right? (laughs) But then they got down to very minimal toys. I think just maybe five major toys. And all of a sudden the kids started playing happily for hours together, cooperating, no fighting, deep play, wonderful play. And the mom was like, what the hell? And I said, isn't it funny? They told you what to do. They were telling you in so many words, what looked like jerk behavior, they were like, go ahead, take it. They wanted their toys gone, like on some level. And when the toys were all gone and they had minimal toys, they didn't have that butterfly play. They didn't have that choice paralysis and they could just go into deep play with each other and get along. So I thought that was so interesting. And so check in with that. If the kids don't care, if you take the toys away, it's not that they're sociopaths who don't care. Maybe they don't care because they have too much stuff. And our kids really can play with so little and be very, very happy. So that is something to check in with. But always offer help and or specifics so again if the room is trashed it might be like okay i'm gonna do this corner or i'm gonna pick up all the paper off the floor why don't you pick up anything you can draw with the more specific you can be the less overwhelming it is and we want to give them some credit while i do always maintain that yes kids can be little jerks most of the time 99% 99% of the time, they're not being jerks. They're be, Their jerky behavior is covering some sort of anxiety, some sort of overwhelm, some sort of, I can't do this in this moment, so I'm going to lash out. And that looks like jerky behavior. Yes. So while it's possible, let's not jump to jerk first thing. Let's not talk. Let's not jump to like, oh, they're just trying to aggravate me. They're being, you know, they're being so disrespectful. Let's first take care of overwhelming anxiety and see where that leads. Yeah. And then what we do when we model help, we want our kids to be the kid who helps the old lady cross the road, who, you know, a mama whose hands are full, they help her load the groceries into the car or bring the cart back to the corral. We want people to reach out and do random acts of kindness. And sometimes that means us modeling when someone is struggling, we help. We don't say, you know, Hey, old lady, you only look like you're 80. You should be able to walk a little faster through the parking lot. (laughs) Like we don't do that. Right. We go, Oh, somebody needs help. So yeah. So that's what I think. Okay. And again, don't do it for them without changing something. So if you have to, if you have to help, don't just cover up by doing it for them and then leaving everything in place, you know? And like I talked about in the last episode on the internal locus of control, if clothes are constantly an issue, and again, I see this more often with little girls. They tend to have more extensive wardrobes. They tend to be a little more specific about what they love or what they don't. And so if you are fighting over clothes, picking clothes, getting dressed, Get a low-hanging rod, wardrobe, cupboard, anything that you can minimize their clothes, at least just for the week or for a couple of days so that they're not overwhelmed with so many choices. It's really uh, the amount of stuff we have that gives kids options. And I think we do it because we like options, but they it's too much for their little brains. Okay, and then the last scenario was Um, a mom who had said, what about when a kid says they can't because they're stalling because they don't want to do the thing you have to go for? Like say it's school and they don't want to go to school or say it's, you know, the playground or the, you know, a play date, a certain kid's house or a sports or an activity, and the kid is dragging their heels. So in this case, I think one of the things we have to do is, if you know this is the case, are you being reactive? So this is the mama who said she could, in that moment, she could feel the injustices of all her past selves lining up behind her. Right, (laughs) And in these cases, it can be so hard because we say things like, oh, but you love school. Oh, well, you have to go. I signed you up for, you know, T-ball. You said you wanted to. We start getting really defensive. Doesn't work with kids. It's not effective, right? So are you being reactive? Notice in that moment, right? Okay. What's going on? Okay. I think he's stalling. All right, cool. Don't launch into any explanations. I'm famous for this. It's like, I've gotten so good at being able to hear the speech I'm going to give before I give it. And so I've been really working on that in the last couple of years. You know, you have to work on that with teenagers because there really is a speech for every single occasion. (laughs) So I stop it so that I don't talk at my son and then I can catch it. And so if you can catch like, okay, I'm about to launch into something that is really not my child's business. It's not your child's business. If you already paid for something, we don't give that to three and four year olds. If you pay for it and you lose your money, that's not on them, that's on you. (laughs) So are you being reactive? Take that pause, take a breath, make sure you're calm and regulated. I would look at a couple of things is their control bucket being filled? Do they feel like they're out of control? Yes. Like again, that internal, external locus of control were these activities that you decided on by yourself and the child didn't know about them, didn't have any input on them. And of course we take input from three and four year olds with a grain of salt, but when it comes to their friends and activities, I really do think kids should have a say or should want to do the things, right? But all of a sudden we sign them up for things. We, dictate the day. We dictate what's happening. So make sure, number one, you let the child know, whiteboard it out, big calendar on the kitchen wall. Here's what we're doing tomorrow, that kind of thing is their control bucket being filled? Do they have some autonomy throughout the day? Do they, are they able to choose certain things? Choose lunch, choose dinner, choose how they're gonna do their chores or you know what some connection time's gonna be with you. So I would be sure to make sure their control bucket's being filled. And then I would actually really look into why don't they wanna go? So if your child is consistently stalling, perhaps they don't love the thing. Yeah. Now this can be really tricky if it's school and they don't have an option. So I'd be, you know, I'd be careful. I'd be careful approaching this with your child, like asking them, why don't you want to go? Cause that leads them to believe they have a choice. And sometimes you don't have a choice, you know? So I would investigate, though, and I would investigate, really, you don't you don't love school. Now, let's say it's school or something, you really don't have a choice. I would do a little more digging. If your child consistently is trying to stall to not get to school or doing something at school that gets them sent home, you want to look at that and really dig into what could be going on there. You may not have a choice, but you could certainly find out what's happening there that your child doesn't love. Now, in that scenario, I find there are two things. I have run into kids. In fact, I did a whole podcast when kids hate school. Um, but I would dig in so that you can ask the teacher, Hey, how's his behavior? How's things going? Et cetera, et cetera. I would look at what happens when your child returns from school. So are they happy? Do they seem okay? It was it just the morning transition and they're fine. So in this case, the mama said, no, he loves it. Whatever he goes to, he loves it. And so on the way home, he'll be like, Oh my God, that was so much fun. We did this. I, I, he said, um, oh, I wish I could remember her exact words. I had so much fun. I forgot to miss you. So she was like, so clearly he's enjoying the activity. It's more that it's, you know, getting there, that transition in the morning. So one of the things I suggested was, record. You have a voice recorder on your phone. It's like all phones come with it inherent and you can record what the child says at the end of the day. And then in the morning you can play it back and say, but this is you at the end of the day, you love it. And then you want to acknowledge that this part is hard. So when a child's having a hard time with transitions and stalling and what it looks like is, no, you, you help me, you help me. I would absolutely help them in that situation. I would 100% help them. And I would acknowledge This part is hard. Getting to things is hard for you. I understand. You may even say, I don't like going to things in the morning either. Or um, I remember one time we were going, I forget where we were going. Maybe we were going to a party. I don't like getting places. Like even my big races, I hate, I get so nervous about the traffic and the check-in process. I don't like driving in cities. I don't like driving in Boston. Um, I don't like going to parties. I I love being at parties. Like if I could teleport in the middle and just be at the snack, the snack table, I'd be fine. <laughs> but we all feel that social um, unrest. And if you listen to my Episode with Suzanne where um, the sober mom la- life. We were talking about how many people use alcohol as a social lubricant, but we all feel socially awkward when we go to a party. Like I don't know one person who's like, "Hey." <laughs> um, so anyway, you might share that with your child. Is like, oh, I hate, I hate going to things too. Like it's really awkward. So that might be something. But I remember when Pascal and I, I don't know how it came up, but I said, "Oh yeah, no, I hate this part too," and he said, "What?" you hate that. I said, Oh, I hate walking in. It feels like everybody's staring at you and you kind of like, you're excited, but you can't, you know, you're, you're kind of dorky. And he was like, you, and he said, you know, you're so social. You love being, I am. Once I get there, once I warm up, I present like a total extrovert, but getting there, I, I am a complete introvert. And I just thought it was so funny that he didn't know that. I said, I think everybody's nervous at first. And so all by way of saying, if your child seems to have a hard time getting into things and stalling because of that, I think it's just a wonderful thing to say, like we all do, but this part's hard. But now you have the voice note on your phone to say... But look, once you get there, you have a really great time. And so just a reminder of that, that yes, there are parts of the day that are hard. But again, I would also check in in that scenario. Is it morning time? Because mornings can be rough. And does that mean maybe earlier bedtime for the family and wake up earlier? Um, doesn't mean a slower roll. A good friend of mine used to have a wonderful morning routine that took all of 10 minutes. She'd go in with a candle. She'd get her little one out of the crib. They would read books by candlelight. And then she'd slowly, you know, turn on a lamp so that the light kind of came up Slowly from candle to lamp to okay, let's go out in the in the main area now, and it really didn't take long, and it was just a beautiful warm up to the day. So maybe your little one needs that, not like hey, get out of bed, let's go. What do you want for breakfast? That might be too fast. And the stall, the I can't do it, I need help. Maybe about like extending that morning routine a little bit. So I do think to. With some kids, and the older they get if they show this behavior, and again, if you think it's stalling because they don't want to go to something, particularly like school, that has to happen, I do think it's also fair game to say, this is happening, we are going. If you need to go in your pajamas, that's fine. If you need help, I'm happy to help you, but this is happening and we are leaving the house soon. So let's figure out how we can get this done. And above all you guys, if you're two, three, four, five, I would say up until first grade, if your child can't do it and they have to go to school in a crazy outfit or even their pajamas, there's not a person on the planet who would fault you. Whenever I see a kid in their pajamas at the grocery store, I'm like, good for you, mama. Good for you for not fighting that fight today. We get it. When I see a kid with, I don't know, their their winter boots on in the middle of summer with goggles on their face and and, I don't know, scuba gear, <laughs> I just go... That kid, that kid was feeling a vibe this morning and the mom just got out of the way. So, so just know that too. I do honestly think that when we help our kids, it's good for them, but it also makes for a smoother day. Doing for your children is not great, but helping them is awesome. And I don't want to discount that this makes your day smoother. I don't want you enabling them and doing everything for them just so you can have an easier day, but having an easier day has to factor into a busy mom's life too. And that's, that's not just nothing. (laughs) All right, you guys hope that was helpful. As always, I super appreciate you listening and, um, and yeah, have a beautiful day and rock on. Okay. Bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training, I have Oh Crap I Have A Toddler, those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. <laughs> you can also go to my website jamieglowacki.com where you can book private sessions with me, buy any of my courses, those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram, I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram jamie.glowacki and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So. Those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.